Hello everybody, this is Ryan and Victoria Cole, and you're listening to Needed Conversation. Today we're talking about healthcare and the Christian vote. So stay tuned, it's going to be a powerful episode. Well, if you uh, joined us for our last episode on part one about healthcare, um, you, you got a really good uh, synopsis about what each political party believes is the solution for healthcare. Now, that's a little bit arrogant to, to say, and then also we understand that it's got to go through the legislative process and there are always compromises along the way. Um, but in a nutshell, the left um, or the Democrat Party believes in a universal healthcare solution and that healthcare is a right. Republicans or the right believes uh, in more of a, a commodity-based a solution, which is, you know, understanding uh, capitalism and then um, also incentivizing doctors and innovation through uh, an open market kind mm -hmm. of a single-payer system. Um, we wanted to talk about our experience with healthcare and how we have felt like um, patients in a sick ward in times when we shouldn't it's have been. It's almost like a natural process. Yeah. Right. So let's talk, Victoria, about our pregnancy and delivery experiences. And when I say our, um, you know, I obviously didn't push a child through my loins. So I give full credit to this wonderful woman of God. She actually delivered both of our children naturally without the help of medication. But and after that, I said, whatever the woman chooses, I yeah. I second whatever you choose. If you, if you need that epidural oh woman, like, go ahead. It was it was a crazy experience. I, it's nothing like you imagine in your mind, which I come from a family of 12. Um, my mom was pregnant for like 13 years of her life. Mm, I can't even imagine. She has twins after me. All of them she birthed naturally. Besides the last one, she was bleeding really badly. So she had to have a C-section. That was the only C-section she had with mm. my sister. So I commend my mom for that. So I was thinking to myself, if I can do it, if my mom can do it, then I can do it at least one or two times. And <laughs> I commend my mother because I don't know how she did it. And plus in our country, which I'm from the country of Ukraine, our system, our healthcare system is a lot different to where, you know, a woman has to be present like a month before she's due. And, and she's not treated that nice. No. <laughs> and because my mom had, you know, because it was such a large family, our country has a big problem with um, orphans. A lot of kids are being left out on the street. So she was being treated bad because they thought that she was having these children and then they were abandoned. Yeah. And it wasn't until my dad brought a picture of the whole family and they saw that they were treated really well that they started giving my mom respect. So I commend my mom for that. But um, yeah, our, our first experience with Mila, and I feel like that everything you know happened for a reason. I think we had to go through this process to kind of help people along the journey. And we counsel couples and, yeah. and we help people through this process. But we really, even though we didn't think about it at the time, we, we were privileged to be able to experience both ends of the spectrum. We yeah. uh, got pregnant with Mila in Atlanta, Georgia, when we lived there. Um, and we went through the healthcare system. It was Kaiser. Uh, we mentioned in the last episode, they are, own the insurance company and they own the hospital and they employ the doctors and they provide the medicine. So it's kind of like this really 
monopolized, convoluted system that doesn't really um, ensure the best treatment of the patient, and then you really don't have an option. Mm-hmm. And so uh, our first child was Mila, and she is how how she's about she's, she's going to be four, four in November. November. Yeah. yeah, she was born November the twenty second. And then eighteen months later, we were pregnant again. We moved back to South Carolina, and we had our son Tobias. He's two years old, a little bit older than two years old. And uh, we had him at a birthing center with a midwife. Which was a third of the price. And we were home the next day, or the same day, actually. Yeah, a few yeah. hours after. <laughs> so the he, he was born was at midnight, and we were home at 8 a.m. 8 a.m., so. yep. So it was a crazy So let's experience. talk about Mila. We went the kind of the traditional healthcare route. They had what they called midwives. Uh, talk to us about that experience. What was it like going in for your first checkups and finding out you were pregnant and uh, discovering what the process was going to be like? What was it? Well, you know, like you said, Kaiser was, um, you know, you really didn't have much choice. So with, with this insurance that we had through the employer, which we still had to pay, uh, we still had a high deductible. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, I didn't have a choice. So it wasn't like I could look around and find the best rated doctor or a physician. I had to go to this office, which was like a humongous, felt like a huge hospital. That's what it felt like. Um, And the challenge is that whoever was on duty during that day was the one that would, you know, check you for that week or that month while you were pregnant. And so you would get a different person every single time. And they called them midwives. And I think they were trying to make it seem like it was, it was more, more natural yeah, because type of thing. They know millennials have that more yeah. holistic kind of mindset. And or, or there's a lot more earthy millennials. So yeah. they're like, how can we appeal to those uh, demographics? And so they said, well, why don't we just label them all midwives and give right. them some kind of certification? And Yeah, well, you know what? I... It was not a big deal, okay? So I was like, you know, we have to do what we got to do. This is the insurance that we have, so that's what we're going to do. And I worked my best. I asked everybody, you know, what are the chances that I'm going to get, you know, how many midwives are there, and what are the chances I'm going to get one of them at the hospital? And essentially, how many were there? There was about eight, right? They told me there were five. Well, essentially, there was eight. And so I tried to rotate uh, all my appointments and at least meet one of them at least once. We decided it would be to our benefit to investigate the practices of each person in the event that we rolled the dice and we showed up and we would say, okay, this is this midwife. We know their personality. We know how, we what know kind of what service approach, we're going to get. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because some of them were more stern and some of them were a little bit, you know, nicer. And they were like, okay, if that's what you want to do, you can. Um, you know, some of them came kind of defensive um, from a perspective of like, well, why are you questioning me? I'm a medical professional, so you should trust me fully. And I, I have a, this thing against that completely. Because we went in with a... A mindset of no, we we did our research, we read books, we we went into it um, saying that we are going to want our first option for Victoria to deliver the baby with as little um, medical intervention as as possible. possible. Meaning we don't want her induced, we don't want her to take medicine for an epidural. You know, epidural. We don't want. Um, the baby to be shot up as soon as it's out of the womb. We we have all of these things that we want. 
and we were looked at like aliens and it's like, okay, these you know, are whatever. the people we're going to have a problem. To, it's like, it's like a Karen. You know what I mean? That's the kind of feeling Attitude you get. That they they, felt, they like felt like you were a Karen, even though you were just vocalizing what you want. And we weren't even a service that you want. It. It's like ordering the food that you want instead of like, no, you know what? I know what you want. You just don't know it. You've never I'm been just, through this. But I've been here, through this a million here's what times. I, what, yeah. Here's the good thing. And I was like, no, that's not what I want. And so you have to be very, you have to be an advocate for yourself. And that's one thing that we've learned through this whole process. So uh, basically uh, leading up to that point, there was like two or three of them that I was like, man, I hope that, I pray that they were on site whenever we get there. So of course we get there and one of the nicer ones checked us in, but she was ending her shift. Mm. And that was when I was being accepted. So at first we were like, yay, "Yay!" you know, and And then then we were like, like, "Mm." And yeah. the person we ended up with, we had never, never met. Ever. Ever. Yeah. I've never seen her. She wasn't on the list of So like... I was so frustrated because they told me how many midwives there were. And I tried my best. I met all five of them that they told so me that was there. So our plan totally was just like Oh, there. great. And so. Who is this person? She came and she was just like so in a hurry. And I don't know if they were understaffed at that time or whatever. Um, you know, and it's not my problem. I'm here to get a service. You know, I, I need you to help me walk through this. And And then you think like, if you research what a midwife does, a midwife and a doula as well, which is kind of, they kind of work together. They work together, but a midwife is meant to be more compassionate, have more bedside support, is there with you through a longer portion of the process, Mm -mm. is able to talk you through from a more holistic perspective. That's not what we got at all. No. In fact, when we got checked in and we moved from the, okay, you're dilated enough to be here room into the actual hospital room, then uh, we met her and she didn't come back until the baby was literally coming out of Victoria. Mm-hmm. And she then she was there to catch. Then she was just trying to hurry me up, hurry up, hurry up, because there was a nurse. And I still remember this. And I was in so much pain. Like I noticed little things, but I couldn't speak for myself at that point because I was just so exhausted and in so much pain. She had a nurse like this, holding a phone, like a hospital phone. And I could tell that they were like, hey, we got the next person. Hurry up, hurry up. And so she was trying Talking to, on the phone with her hands out, trying to yeah, catch a baby. Yeah. And I was like, what is this? And it was, it was, it was very traumatic because we didn't get any support. Our uh, nurse at that time, I think she was like 21. She was very timid. She kept bringing some other nurse to make sure that we the were okay. The best thing that they kept doing, they kept opening the door and saying, needing any more ice chips like (laughs) it was literally me and victoria in a hospital room they wanted victoria to be plugged up at all times and they wanted me to sit and i was like are you kidding me like you can't have the decency to come help support me but i'm over here in pain and you want to sit from your table so you could check my vitals from there yeah they wanted to sit at their desk and look at a monitor and see how how victoria was doing versus being there like, to support if and you let know us anything know. about like the labor and delivery process, it, it's not something that can be calculated using mathematics. And every person is different. Yes, you can check vitals and et cetera, all of that. But there is almost a spiritual aspect to mm-hmm. the labor and delivery process to where you know when the transitions in that delivery are, are, are taking place, when you're moving into the labor 
the heavy portions of the labor that you, and you have to almost create a relationship with whoever is delivering your child so that they understand that, that, um, unspoken, almost supernatural aspect of the process. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's how I believe we end up jumping to conclusions inducing women before their times, having far more premature undeveloped babies than we should, you know, miscalculating the weight of the child, miscalculating the due date, and essentially treating you like a patient who has a sickness that needs to be cured Mm -hmm. versus somebody who is engaging in this natural and almost supernatural part of the human experience. Well, you know? like you said, we want to be in control of a life process. We want it to be on our time. We wanted to get it done and get it over with. And that's just how it is. And that's exactly how I felt with this, you know, at, at in this system, in this um, medical facility where there was no support and everything was rushed and they wanted to do it on their terms. And it's so, easy to pull strings when you're in that state because you're vulnerable. Yeah. There's almost a level of fear and obviously there's anxiety, but it, there's a lot of unknowns. There, there's a mm-hmm. lot of unknowns about what's happening right now to my wife's body. What, you know, what is this that, you know, is this normal? Is this right? Is this blah, blah, blah. And to be given a medical response um, in those type of scenarios is not comforting. Mm -mm. And then when you feel so much pain like Victoria was, um, and they had her wrapped up in these monitors around her stomach, which contributed to even more pain. See, when they're able to medicate a person, give them an epidural, then they're able to wrap them up in wires and leave them alone. And then whenever they feel like their vitals are at a certain place or then they can push. You know, then they can begin pushing when they're as long as their blood pressure. And if the blood pressure of the baby, oh now we gotta immediately do a C section. Now it's all these medical interventions for what a woman's natural body God designed you to do it. Now that's not to say that there aren't scenarios where some of these medical interventions are needed. My mom's a good example. She has two C-sections. Um, she, I think, cracked her hip or um, broke something when she was roller skating as a young, like a young adult. And that did not allow her body to make room for basically delivering a child. And that, that was something that she had to come to terms with. And she had those C-sections because of that particular. But the vast majority of C-sections um, happen because, uh, you know, we're rushing through the process. There's fear. Um, you've induced the labor, which in turn increases the blood pressure, which in turn causes stress and anxiety. All of these elements which lead to C-sections. As the most developed country in the world, we have more C-sections and higher mortality rates um, than some of the more underdeveloped countries in the world. And you say to yourself, why is this? Mm-hmm. That a woman can have a child in, um, in, in a back room of a home and survive and thrive and be okay. And here we are with all of these medical advancements and more women are dying And I'll say this too, there's disparities in the African-American community, especially, Mm -hmm. um, which stems from how uh, those women were treated uh, during times of slavery and just the idea that women of color, uh, uh, their pain isn't taken as seriously or their vocalization of that pain as a a uh, non-black woman. 
those are all uh, inefficiencies of our healthcare system that treat, again, individuals who are pregnant, women who are pregnant, like um, patients who need cure of this sickness and disease. Yeah, well, that was our experience, you know, with that health insurance and the whole process with that. And then, you know, with my son, it was like a night and day difference because this uh, midwife, she has like a little uh, center. She has several rooms and um, she... I have never seen as little intervention as with her. I was actually like, is this right? Like, are you not supposed to do all this? And she was like, yeah, it's actually not healthy for you to keep checking yourself because, or have somebody check you because you are introducing, you know, infections. Um, and even the number of ultrasounds Ultrasounds, have. which is actually, you know, um, what do you call it? Radio radi- waves, radiation, radiation, yeah, radiation, you know, yeah. so it's not healthy for your body at all. So all of these interventions that you really don't need um, and all these services, I feel and like that are provided, experience. Yeah, all of these services that are provided, which you really don't need, but they'll charge you like, you know, $300 every time you walk into it. So she, um, you know, allowed it very naturally. I actually was shocked that I didn't feel pain in between contractions because I didn't have a monitor. She had a Doppler that she would check the baby's heart rate and she would just keep reiterating to me, the baby's doing good, you're doing good. I progressed like, uh, of course, this is my second pregnancy. So within uh, Mila's hard labor or true labor, that's what I called it. I was at labor a lot longer than 12 hours, but I say true labor for 12 hours where they were intense and consistent. With Toby, I was for six hours. Mm -hmm. And it's because I feel like that I had guidance and she was there hands-on. And it was a third of the price. And from, you know, our experience of talking with her, she does work with the hospital just in case if there is a major problem that she cannot address. They will directly take these women. There are always the the chance that there are some unknowns, that there needs to be some kind of medical intervention. But that's the thing is in 20 years, the difference that you see the percentages of people suffering with these kind of things in the hospital versus in her setting, she's been practicing for 20 years. She only had about two or three women that she took to the hospital. 20 years. Two two or three women that she can recall that she had to send to the hospital. She delivers about 10 to 15 babies a month, if not more. Um, And that's her, and she has a couple of other people that help her as well. So there was little intervention. I didn't feel like it was traumatic. There was no bright light. She was there helping Victoria learn how to breathe, lean into the pain, all of those uh, practices to understand when your body is making those transitions. Victoria laid on our bed here at the house um, for the majority of those hours, and she would toss and turn and kind of breathe through the contractions. And then she felt uh, we were able to call the midwife and she heard from Victoria's voice, okay, you're ready to come on in. And when Victoria got in, it was right around midnight. Tobias was born like at 12.00 something. So we're at 12.01. 12.01 a.m. He he wanted it on his special yeah, day. His, my midwife said that because my niece was born the that same day. So she well, was like- Well, the day he, before technically. Yeah, yeah. So she was like, he wanted his own birthday. He wanted his very <laughs> own birthday. And uh, Victoria was able to use different methods to, you know, medicine balls. There was the option if she wanted to get into the bathtub. um, bathtub. There was a lot. There It was a huge bed, basically. And when she got in that position to push, um, it it seemed just so much more emotional. And there was a lot less fear. Like, I fully trusted this person 
um, to give us because she had been there all along. She And the thing about it was there was another room, another bedroom down the hall, and another woman was giving birth. She literally gave birth. To her fifth child. To her fifth child. And it was right before Victoria started pushing. And she handled it with such grace, unlike... I felt like that other person in Atlanta who had other people or another person that she was going in and out and she was having to do a C-section here. She literally went from us. We were sandwiched kind of between two C-sections, I I believe, if my memory serves me correctly. They were talking through the intercom in our room about that other, you know, it just wasn't like that with the midwife. And so we went in there. And she kept pressuring to um, cut me, basically. That was in the hospital. And she kept asking me to do it, asking me to do it. And from my experience, you know, talking with my midwife, uh, with my experience at the hospital, she actually said, your first birth, uh, you should at least expect to push for two hours. That's normal. Right. And the hospital, I pushed Mila out in 30 minutes and she was still rushing me. And so she said, that's actually unheard of. She was rushing. She was wanting to cut Victoria because she was was saying, you're going to be tearing. It's going to be bad and blah, blah, blah. And we didn't let her. We... We actually came to the hospital with with a birthing plan, yeah, and that it was it was uh, done in picture form. Eventually, at first, I wrote it out, and then I talked to some other females and just kind of looked at an understanding, like you know, hospital staff they're busy with other things, so they're most likely just going to set it aside. So, I created picture forms. Uh, I took it from a blogger, and it's basically something that nurses know right away what it pertains to. Um, and just, you know, yes to this and no to this. And the other thing about um, the experience was what we discussed in the last episode was the transparency in the cost. Yeah. Like we went into... It was right away. We went into the midwife. Mm-hmm. She says, this is exactly how much it's going to cost. This is exactly the fee. You're going to have to go and see um, an OBGYN at first. You're going to have to do blood work. These are the costs. This is where I recommend that you would go. If if there are no other hospital interventions, this is what you're going to end up paying. And it was exactly that to a T. We paid in advance. It mm-hmm. was just, it was so wonderful to have the child and not have to worry about medical bills that are going to start to roll in when you're not even in a frame of mind. We know those first couple of months you're not sleeping. The child's rhythm and your rhythm are completely kind of jung- jumbled up. And now you got medical bills rolling in and it's wrong and you're charged astronomical amounts. Is this what I'm paying or is this what the insurance is paying and blah, blah, blah. We still ended up paying about $2,000 more than Toby's in cash, personally. With insurance. With insurance. And with Tobias, we didn't have insurance. Yeah. And with insurance, I think it was like $15,000 or $16,000. And that was my natural birth. I had at the one, hospital at the with hospital. Mila. The first I had one. one lidocaine shot, and that was uh, with the sewing up. So there was no epidural. There was no surgery. There was no support throughout. We got charged by moving from one room to, to another. another room. Basically, yeah. let me check you room, and then an actual hospital room. Then there were hidden charges, charges that we ended up having to dispute with the hospital. Things that they put on our bill that. We never utilized. Mm-hmm. It was like a separate room. I'm like, I was never in that room. Oh, like, actually, I, and then at the hospital, once you had the baby, then they left us alone with the child. For three hours. For three hours. Because they, they couldn't, I guess they, they, had, they walked, were busy with They had ones. other babies. They were like, they they said, oh, just order you something and we'll be back and we're going to transfer you to another room, which was, and then they were rushing you and all this kind of thing, but then they wanted you 
to, there was no um, nursing support. They had what they called lactation specialists, but were condescending women who just, you know, were frustrated that you didn't understand how to do it. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum with Tobias, the midwife was there. She was supportive even with the breastfeeding. She I could understood call her, the frustration. I could text her. She was like, just come in, just come in and let me see how you're doing it. She was there to guide me, even though. You know, I, I kind of inherited, you know, what my mother was going through. Even though my mom worked through the pain, I just couldn't do it. So I ended up pumping. But still, my it midwife was a, it was, was, a, gave me a lot of support. It was a big enough bed. Victoria and I both were laying there. After she delivered the baby, like she was so gentle. She dimmed all of the lights. She just wrapped up the baby. She she said, this is good for you. And she let us sleep. She She, she didn't... A poke and prod the baby. She cleaned him up a little bit and gave him right there to mm. us. Took a couple of pictures and she said, I'm going to leave you guys alone. Just sleep and I'll be back. And she was back around seven or so or eight in the morning. She um, basically just did some vital checks on Tobias, asked us a couple questions, gave us some words of wisdom and sent us on our way home. And we we were at home yeah, Within came, eight hours. Then we came back the next day, checked on him. I think he had some blood work done. Um, and while that that was another thing that was really nice is that um, I wasn't there when they did blood work because that can be very emotional for a mom seeing their baby, you know, cry. So the father was present and I actually had a free massage. So she had a massage on site. So uh, I was in there with Tobias while he was And she gave getting... me a major back massage, which is so needed after <laughs> delivering a baby. But we're not saying all this, you know, to try to encourage you to go one way or the other. But that was just our personal experience with what supposedly is like this innovative system. And we didn't get any support. And then like a small small little mom and pop shop, like a personal private run practice. Mm -hmm. And the difference that you got, the transparency in the cost, a third of the price. I, we didn't have that financial the quality strain, of the care, quality of the care. custom of the service. And the fact of the matter is like, unlike other items like food or even electricity, that it's kind of, it's almost like common what you would expect to get on the other end. When it comes to healthcare, every person's experience is different because hmm. their needs are different, right. as well as their medical conditions may be different. Their, or their preferences. Their or... preferences may be different. Mm -hmm. Their personalities are different. That all lends to what kind of healthcare that you need. So being able to you know, say, oh, we're just going to paint a broad stroking brush and you're not going to be able to select your doctors. You're not going to be able to customize your treatment plan or decide what you feel like that you need as a patient. You know, it's either our way or the highway. I don't want that kind of insurance plan. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and I don't want to be a part of a huge system where I'm just a number that I take a piece of paper and, you know, I'm a number on a paper and my doctor isn't really caring for me. I, I think we've lost the art of true compassion in this field. Now, there are some phenomenal doctors. I'm not saying this as a, you know, a memorandum about all medical professionals, mm -hmm. but I think when you're thrust into a system, even the most well-intentioned doctors who come into it with like this bold-faced compassion for why they want to be a medical professional, they're, you know, disillusioned by the system that they're forced into, even mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. And um, this is what I believe where, where we're going to shift to. 
And even when it comes to universal health care, we don't take into effect of it's still going to disenfranchise the poor because all the wealthy people are going to do is they're going to pay somebody to come to their house and perform these procedures. Somebody who uh, may not be licensed by the system, but they know has a reputation and is able to walk them through a process the wealthier people are still going to get better treatment, even with a universal health care system. Mm-hmm. That just makes the middle class people suffer even more because now we're forced to take the crappy health care and we have no other option. But what I actually think is going to occur is you're going to see a community doctors arise again. You're going to see, um, you know, some smaller health care providers with a community of doctors that are able to service a particular area of people in a more specialized way. And you will pay a subscription into that service, much like you would subscribing to any service like, you know, Hulu or Netflix or whatever the case may be. Um, Of course, it would be more expensive than a $9.99 a month, but I think it would be based on your medical needs Etc. On top of being able to have healthcare insurance that is is optional, and we did some research with the Heritage Foundation, and found um, some of the the best solutions I believe for uh, the healthcare dilemma, along with what we're going to add at the end, which is um, our recommendation as Christians to add some extra reinforcement to our healthcare system. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that we have been walking through presently is the diagnosis that we got uh, for Victoria's father and um, being diagnosed with glioblastoma. Anyone who has dealt with cancer in their family can probably relate to what what Victoria is about to describe. Um, Talk to us about, because you've been handling dads a lot of, his, you know, appointments, going through surgery to take the mass out. What are the options to treat this? And what are what has been your experience having to navigate a system where there isn't transparency in pricing, receiving a bill for almost half a million dollars, not mm-hmm. knowing where to go from there and and where we are today? Yeah, well, I mean... I- This is not to say that I'm not grateful because I am grateful where we are living. You know, we are living in the United States. And, you know, I'm going to tell you that that is a very big privilege because, you know, his sister actually passed away a few weeks ago from cancer. It started in her breast and then it moved out to her brain and she was on chemo. And let me tell you that there you don't get the service until you pay. So here, you know, you at least can get, you know, a service. And then, of course, your bills are astronomical. But the interesting thing is, like, they'll present to you this astronomical bill, which was like almost a half a million dollars because he had brain surgery. Um, And then when you say that, well, we don't have insurance, you know, it goes down to like half of that. Now Um, it's $200,000. Now it's $250,000. And so, you know, I tried to find him as many financial aid assistance as possible, uh, which, you know, the hospital provided the financial aid, and they're actually helping us to walk through the process for him to get uh, Medicaid through the disability. So we're still in the process of that. But it's still, it's very stressful. And we were even talking about, you know, like the, the American 
Cancer Association and these research that my dad can't technically partake because they want you to go through the standard care, which is chemo and radiation, which Wh in which his case doesn't give him any hope at all. It just says that it may, uh, it may add two months uh, to his lifespan, but of course he's going to be miserable, which most of the time, which what we've seen with this, because it's in the brain, um, it, it's really hard to treat. So, um, most people die because of doing the chemo and radiation. Right. So we were just even talking about, you know, what about people donating to American Cancer Association? Like, where does that money go? Where's that, where's that transparency? Like, I know that there's different kinds of cancers, um, but, even with the research, they were saying, well, he can't participate in that because he doesn't have insurance. So it's mm -hmm. astronomical costs if he even gets into a trial. So I'm like, I thought trials are supposed to be like, you know, you're technically kind of like a guinea pig, um, but you're helping the research. But no, you actually have to pay in. So we actually got in touch with a lady and she was like, you got to be your personal advocate. She had a brain can brain tumor. And of course, they took her in right away. And of the reason why is because her husband is one of the executives at a huge company. I'm not going to name it. Um, and, of course, she had health care. So they took her in right away, you know. But with my dad, I've been having to call and knock on doors. Um, even the doctor that I called from, uh, like, Duke University, um, he was kind of condescending when he called me back because he was like, well, how can I help you? I don't know how, why are you even calling me? You know, because, because we, we weren't going to do the radiation. He didn't want to do chemo radiation. And we weren't going to do, uh, and we didn't have health care um, for, he didn't have health care. Right. Uh, my father-in-law. So um, he actually admitted, he said, you know, I didn't believe this before, but I do now. So I would suggest you looking into it, but you know, more holistic, uh, homeopathic, I guess you would say, mm -hmm. ways of treating cancer have proven effective. And that's what we've been doing with He's him. Been, and the th doing some oxygen treatments, yeah. some uh, vitamins, juicing, uh, eliminating things from his diet, a lot of different things. He is in a good place. We're still believing God for a miracle. But I, I think one of the biggest challenges that Victoria kept bringing back to me was not knowing how much things were going to cost up front. Not knowing uh, what the left arm is doing and then you go over to the right arm, like you're being bounced around from all of these doctors and they don't know where you are in the process. There isn't really a lot of support um, to help walk you through what is this going to look like. Okay, here's a checklist, a, a mm -hmm. 10 things that you're going to experience in the next, knowing that he is not the first person to ever go through this process. Um, calling in and people not knowing. Um, but it's just it just comes across as there's no care in regards to, um, you know, the a treatment plan to get my father better. It, it's just, oh, another number to get through a person to take our chemo and radiation services um, at the end of the day. That's all that it came across as. And I've even told the physicians that, I'm not confident in you guys because I don't even see the communication with you between you. I don't. I can't even imagine a person that has a, that's having to deal with this issue, being in pain and having to be thrown around from physician to physician, and doesn't have an advocate or a family member to help them guide them through this process because right. it's been stressful on me, and I'm not the patient, you know. So I'm like, there has to be a better way. It's it's very challenging to walk through because. Um, 
even when you go through a healthcare provider, there's you know that there's no guarantee that any of the procedures are going to work. Mm-hmm. We were blessed with an amazing surgeon who was able to re- remove a, a vast majority of no, the tumors of, them, yeah. of both the tumors in his brain. Um, which set us on a good path to then pursue a lot of these more holistic options. Um, but in that scenario, I think what would have been helpful is if there were transparency in pricing, mm-hmm. there was um, more guidance and compassion mm-hmm. uh, and care for us as a family. And being and I, I know there's tons of people going through the system, right? But then you have how expensive this is. And then there's not the quality of care on the other end, um, especially going through this during COVID, seeing the deficiencies in the system um, with not having, f- enabling family to be there as a support as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't just a complaint podcast from that perspective, because we know when it comes down to it, his health, his health is our responsibility, mm-hmm. not our country's responsibility, but our community's responsibility. And it starts with our family. It start really, it starts with him and, and his wife. Right. And it starts with our family stepping up to the plate and our community surrounding and championing us. And that's really what's been great about this. The number of people, many of you who listen to this podcast, who have uh, stepped up, donated, supported um, our father in need and have been s- supplying prayers nonstop. Um, anything else you want to add about that? Um, yeah, we're just really grateful. And you know what? I am grateful that we're here and that there are, you know, funds that are available, um, financial assistance that we were able to get. So it does take some strain off. Um, and again, I feel like that's part of the American culture is that they, we, you know, you guys are givers and I say you guys, I'm part of the U.S. citizens as well. Um, but there has to be a better way to help walk people through this process. What benefited him most wasn't the system, uh, wasn't um, even the Medicare, Medicaid situation. It was the community that mm-hmm. really rallied around him. Mm-hmm. And, and it was actually the people that cared, like people that I called for help. They were so gracious and were mm-hmm. so sweet about this process. Um, and that's what we need. We need people that are passionate to, you know, help people to get better, uh, help people find ways to find financial support in any way that they can. And I, I have, I have spoken with people that, you know, are like, call me anytime, you know, if you need me to uh, help you through this process of, you know, or, or I'm going to follow this paperwork yeah. trail. So there has been really gracious people that have helped along the way. Um, and that's but, our Christian duty to mm-hmm. care for the sick and to care for the poor. Mm-hmm. But there's a way, there's a strategy about it. And first and foremost, I think that we as Christians have put too much dependency on a system. On the government. On the government to be able to care for our people. And we haven't stepped up to the plate as much ourselves. Now, I'll say, obviously, people have stepped up to the plate for us. But that's not everybody's experience. As well as, I think, um, if we knew, and I was telling Victoria this last night, if we knew that it was going to come down to us to take care of those in our community... Um, number one, it would be of 
our interest that they are healthy and they live a healthy lifestyle, mm-hmm. that they are, you know, free from anxiety and stress. And so we build more cultures of empowerment and love and compassion and worship experiences that help alleviate those stresses of life. We would empower them and educate them about how they eat. And we would also believe for more miracles, mm-hmm. right? If I knew, and Victoria says this is about cost, but I think it's a little bit deeper. If I knew that sister <laughs> so-and-so ha- got sick with this kind of cancer or whatever, and you know, I was going to be responsible for helping pay for that as well as caring for her, I'd be like, no, sister so-and-so need a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> and we need to pray for that. And in turn, in, in actuality, that's what we're really believing for our dad is that he... Yeah receives a miracle and we serve uh, the great physician and I guess we do and put, we believe that he will be yeah, healed. I guess we do put so much faith in what the physical physicians can do that we don't even I mean I have to admit like there's times we are so busy on this forward gazing thing that we don't even stop to pray about it I mean Christians are masters at what what is called virtue signaling um, it's a phrase that has come out which basically means that you can basically express your solidarity about a certain um, issue that's going on in the in society without having to participate in the solution. Mm-hmm. That means you can make a social media post and not actually contribute to the change. Mm-hmm. And in Christianity, there's so many times where like I'm praying for you or God bless you or and and we're sitting here as a community with solutions. We have the best and the brightest in our midst. We as the church really originated the modern healthcare system back in biblical times, and that's why this issue is very challenging. You you can't go to the Bible and say, "Well, this is how they handled healthcare and this is how we should do it today. The only thing that we have to look for is the modern church gave everything that they had to the collective and there were none among them with need. We can spend all the money we can on the healthcare system and we support doctors. God anoints the hands and the minds of doctors, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. But um, our greatest solution is healing first through the gospel of the kingdom, which transforms our souls, but also knowing that the power for for us to be healed physically is through Christ alone. Mm-hmm. And us believing for that, stop being lazy in your Christianity and look at the needs of those in your, your tight-knit community. That's why the local church is so important, mm-hmm. that we can link arms together and lift one another up, care for those. I really love, and we actually were a part of it for a while, um, the Christian healthcare organizations that basically pull together funds. You pay almost like a monthly premium. It's not as expensive in any means um, as traditional healthcare, and it's technically not health insurance. Um, but you pay in, and the beautiful part about that 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 we were able to be involved in is the fact that you pay your monthly premium and your premium goes to take care of the medical bills of some other Christian in your community and you get a note back every month that says, this month your $120 went to pay for John's uh, such and such so that you can pray for him. And then you as a collective want people in your community to be better. You're praying earnestly because you're like, 
you know, if he gets healed, we're not going to have to pay that premium. Yeah, well, that program really incentivized healthy living, too. Yes, so. and you, there were certain qualifications, right? Mm-hmm. Even when, when it came to pregnancy, you know, incentivizing pregnancy within a family um, system. They will not fund abortions. They will not, And they were actually you know, exempt in regards to taxing, uh, taxation whenever, like a lot of insurances, there's a cut that goes towards Planned Parenthood. Right. Most people don't even know that, but because of the religious, I, I guess the organization that they were, they were exempt from paying into that well, tax. Well, uh, the primary thing that they were exempted from was back when we did have a penalty for the healthcare thing. Um, they you qualified that you wouldn't pay that penalty that they that you could still, but now the penalty is done away with because of Trump. So. We don't have to worry about that part. But if we go into something like universal healthcare system, that Christian option is going to be thrown out the window. When I think that that needs to be looked at as a model that we adopt as lo- local communities as a whole, that we're caring mm-hmm. for one another. And then I would support a more um, open forum when it comes to being able to select your health care. And here are just a couple things that we found through the Heritage Foundation that are some strategies based on statistics and research and doctors have come together and addressing these health reforms, focusing on number one, personal portable health insurance that travels with you from job to job and in and out of the labor market, meaning you carry your health insurance with you, whether or not you're employed by this this company or not, whether you move from being an employee to a business owner, that you're able to carry this um, insurance from place to place and that it's uh, something that is negotiable. It's something um, much like, I think, car insurance that you're able to shop around and get the best prices and, you know, uh, it, it incentivizes as well healthy living uh, also. Uh, There is something to be said about pre-existing conditions, which is the big talking point, which Mm -hmm. Obamacare um, covers now. But essentially, pre-existing conditions shouldn't be um, the responsibility of the healthcare provider as much as it should be the responsibility of your community. Like those are the ones who are the most disenfranchised because they may have been born with an issue or they acquired an issue that, um, you know, that, that wasn't in their own means to be able to prevent. And we as a community should rally around those people. Mm-hmm. And out of the charity of our churches, we should be able to take care of it. I think we should also incentivize these local doctors being able to support the communities, and also telemedicine. We've discovered during this pandemic that that's actually been a great thing for doctors to do, to get on a video chat. You've now got technologies to be able to monitor monitor some of your your vitals from home so that they know what they're looking at. Uh, A lot of times we may be overreacting, especially as parents, to certain mm-hmm. medical issues. And you'll be able to FaceTime with someone and know whether or not you need to come in and wait in the line and actually expose yourself to other sick people or whether or not you can just practice something a little bit um, more easy at home. And so these um, telemedicine options, you avoid traffic, long waits, emergency room visits, which has really been a problem for the uninsured that have treated emergency rooms like uh, your general physicians, mm-hmm. um, which you saw the emergence of these, what do they call them? These lo- local uh, 
emergency kind of CVS, the, you know what, what I'm talking Minute about? Minute clinics. Minute clinics, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that we should have centers of excellence that specialize in chronic health conditions, including the pre-existing conditions, and they actively compete for patients, and that incentivizes the innovations. I think that we should be able to own our healthcare accounts, and we should be able to control and manage our own care, including anyone who has chronic issues or needs routine surgeries or those kind of things. Being able to have HSA accounts where we're able to save money to take care of certain issues. Um, the government should not mandate these changes. I'm a firm believer in limited government. Uh, I think that the more the government gets involved, the more uh, uh, red tape that you have to go through to even get basic care in any in any way. So uh, these are some of the things that I think we should pressure our legislators to address. I think Obamacare is definitely flawed. Um, So uh, addressing those flaws, I don't think that it necessarily has to be completely repealed, but there definitely has to be changes. On the other end of the spectrum, I am not a proponent of universal health care. I do not think healthcare is a right. I think healthcare is a need. I think healthcare is also a commodity because in the, that instance, you have, have a third party that's required to provide it. I think even when it comes to other countries, because a, a 80% or something of the developed world, and I know I'm you know talking a lot here, but 80% of the developed world has some form of a universal healthcare And most people say, why does it work, blah, blah, blah. And the fact is that those, number one, they're not working all that well if you live in those certain areas. And many people fly to the states to receive health care, which lends to the idea that... Because the choice is limited. The choice is limited. The wait is... All of that. Too long. But those countries are benefiting from the innovations that are coming out of the United States of America. And so we're able to develop the innovative medical breakthroughs that they're able to leverage within their universal health care system. So you eliminate uh, the United States of America. Not only is the quality of health care diminished in this country, the entire world suffers because of it. Mm-hmm. Because we have the some of the best and the brightest in our country. Not that others don't, but we definitely do here in the United States of America. Well, I feel like we have such a diverse group of people, too. We're, like, really, really diverse when it comes to cultures and uh, bringing different ideas together from different perspectives. Yeah, and I think, too, um, you're going to see an emergence of home health care visits as well. Kind of like we had in, like, the 60s. Back in, back in the old days. I think for the vast majority of people, especially if they're healthy and they have a healthy lifestyle, they're taking care of their eating patterns and all of that. It's um, it, it's better for us to build a relationship with our doctor in a way to that we can build a plan that, that suits us, that we can take care of ourselves into our older age, and then our communities can rally around those who end up having some of these other issues. I think that also, one of the last things I want to mention, and I know you're passionate about it, Victoria, is in addressing the healthcare industry, we also have to address the food industry. Mm-hmm. And that's because um, 
how we're regulating or approving the FDA and all of those organizations that are government run, uh, approving all of these foods that are distributed to our people that in turn create long-term negative side effects, cancer, all of these things, it has to be addressed. Um, Talk about that a little bit, Victoria, before we end. Well, you know, one of the biggest things that I'm kind of a, I guess, proponent proponent of, is that a proponent? Yeah. Is, um, you know, the GMOs. um, Did you know that GMO, which is genetically modified foods, it actually is forbidden in all countries but United States. Why is that, you know? And so we we create all these foods or the seed in... Or in um, a lot of countries, yeah. We create them... um, genetically modified foods, but we don't know the actual ramifications of us eating them long-term, what's going to happen. Um, I, I believe that there are a lot of issues when we start ming- mingling with things that are supposed to be natural. And the reason why there it's men- uh, mingling with it is because they can't make money off of natural products because it was already there. So what they're doing is they're just getting seed, they're modifying it a little bit, and then selling it for profit. And the problem with these uh, genetic, genetically modified seeds is that they actually, they said that they're supposedly growing faster, they produce more, but they actually ruin the soil because they have to be sprayed with uh, really bad pesticides, which we actually will consume as well. And those things cause cancer, cause cancerous cells, it all directly affects, you know, us and what we're eating. I mean, that's part of the reason why we stopped eating uh, meats is because of the the way uh, we are treating uh, the animals. Like we're sticking them in pen, in, uh, in, in the pan, pans, pens. pens, and contained areas, contained areas hormone injections, all of that. They're not clean yes. at all the way, you know, these these meats are produced. Um, and that is the same thing with even the produce. I think the small farmer is being shut down because they want to mass produce it. They want to own all these uh, farmlands. Um, and so it's really hard for these small farmers to have organic seed because they're always constantly being pressured from agriculture uh, by the government on you know what they should produce and how they should do it. Uh, what they should inject, you know, these animals regulations, with, regulations, red tape, all of that kind so of stuff. So, of course, that doesn't incentivize people to want to do farming as well because that there's so many problems with mm-hmm. it as well. But, yeah, it's 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 a whole other sub- subject when it comes to food, but it directly affects our health. So we have to be aware of that as well and take <laughs> responsibility. Well, this has been a really long episode, but oh, yeah. healthcare again, is a very dense topic. And when you go to vote, this is what I want you to know. As a Christian, universal health care is not going to be the solution that we need. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, voting Republican isn't going to necessarily be uh, the solution that we need. I think that we should pr- uh, more so look at the thoughts of the legislators within our states, mm-hmm. even more so than even the parties in and of itself, when it comes to this particular issue, because essentially those are who are going to be um, drawing up these new plans, whether mm-hmm. or not it's a Republican or a Democrat in the president presidential office and the, the executive branch. It's really coming down to, um, you know, if if Obama had it his way, we would have already had universal health care. 
if if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris that we're going they're going to pressure for universal health care. Donald Trump wants a single payer system, but essentially it doesn't really matter what what they they think. Yes, they're a major voice in the issue, but it comes down to your local legislators mm -hmm. and them going and representing you. Those are who you should investigate. Look up. What do they believe? What are their thoughts about these issues? Do they believe universal health care is, is the way and why? How is that going to affect you? Take everything that we said today into consideration when you're voting this November the 3rd. This is an issue that I think is not going to be solved completely by the government. But we as Christians have to form a, a collective uh, agreement about how we take care of one another and how much faith that we're we're choosing to to bring to the table and believe God for supernatural health strategies, health protocols, as well as divine miracles. And that's what we're believing for. If you're listening today, you're struggling in your body, we just speak healing over you right now in Jesus' name that God would give you the strategy you need to walk out your healing. And uh, we thank you for listening. Uh, if you're on YouTube, make sure you subscribe, hit that bell notification. Mondays is Empowerment Mondays. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Needed Conversations. Join us back next week where we're going to be digging into a brand new topic as it relates to how Christians should be voting and engaging in politics. We'll see you next week. See you guys later.